The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. In studio right now, Mac Williams from History to You. Mac, welcome Whoa. to In Tune, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. He doesn't sound snotty. What's the deal here? He he <laughs> hasn't been around all of our sickies here. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> well, trust me, by the time he leaves here, he's going to need that box of clinics that we have over there. Hey, Mac is uh, a, a gentleman that I met several weeks ago at a festival uh, up on uh, North 14th Street, yes, and uh, had an opportunity to talk to him and see some of the things that he does. And this is a, a, a great program, folks, so listen carefully to what you're going to get from Mac. Mac, tell us a little bit about you, and then we're going to talk about history to you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, actually, uh, before I begin, I just want to send a shout out. Uh, I have uh, family listening in, so I, I just uh, want to say hey to uh, my mother and, and uh, my brothers and sisters that are listening in here, uh, because History to You is actually a family affair. Uh, I started uh, collecting uh, artifacts that related to African-American history uh, roughly about 10 years ago. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I, I visited uh, the Grio Museum uh, on St. Louis Avenue uh, at the time, and uh, I was really intrigued uh, by the displays uh, and and actually wanted to uh, volunteer uh, to just to see if I could contribute, uh, whether it's as a curator or, or even uh, building a website, uh, however I could contribute. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I was rebuffed at the time, uh, but I guess it was a blessing in disguise because that uh, rather than allow that to deter uh, me what I what I envisioned at that point was hey I, I you know I love history I've always had a passion for it uh, I was raised in a home in which uh, our, our history was emphasized uh, and so uh, my natural step for me was uh, to begin collecting myself and uh, and I started out uh, the very first item I, I purchased was the uh, first edition up from slavery of Booker T Washington uh, and once I got that bug it it really uh, just snowballed from there uh now having said that I, I was collecting but i didn't necessarily have uh, the vision for history to you at the time uh but over the course of a series of events uh certainly uh, the events in ferguson uh impacted me uh, traumatically and, and uh, i was out you know on, on uh, west florissant i was out on north or new florissant uh demonstrating and what i noticed was there was a there was a disconnect between uh, the older generation uh, that saw themselves as the vanguard and a younger generation uh, that was that wanted their voices to be heard, uh, but they didn't have the megaphones. Uh, they weren't the first ones out uh, in, in the front of the march. And so where you had individuals clamoring, you know, to be the voice uh, in the older generation, I in turn turned and began talking with everyone, uh, just trying to understand what was missing. Um, and when you look at the results, uh, uh, some of the things that have come out of Ferguson, um, one of the shortcomings, and I think one of the lessons that we had to learn from that experience is knowing exactly what we want as a result, uh, what are we demonstrating for? 
if we're demonstrating for justice, that's one thing. But if we're wanting more than that, then we need to understand and define that. Did you find that that was not articulated very clearly? Well, I, I think it took a while uh, for that to be articulated. And I still think that some of those issues have yet to be addressed uh, within a community. Uh, and the other point being that I, I think uh, we, the individuals that are being asked aren't always reflective of the actual community. Uh, and, and I think that that disconnect, uh, we live in a day and age where everyone can be on YouTube, on Instagram, on, on Twitter. Uh, and so you have this proliferation of voices, but you really, but no one's being heard. Everyone's talking, but no one's being heard. Uh, and, and so I think because of that, you have so many voices and, and not all of these voices are, are truly articulating our, our, our genuine needs and concerns. Uh, they're expressing opinions, they're um, promoting the ideas of others. Uh, and, and so all of that led me to search within myself uh, to try to understand, okay, I have this passion for history. I have this, this understanding. I, I went to school, I have my bachelor's in political science. I have an understanding of the social dynamic that's going on here. What can I do? I can try to elbow everyone out of the way to, to, to the front of the line uh, to be heard. Uh, but what am I going to accomplish with that if I don't have mechanisms in place to actually act on what I'm asking and what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so one of the things that I tried to express to everyone, and I, I was calling in on radio stations trying to figure out, uh, was let's establish a scholarship fund for Mike, uh, Michael Brown in his honor. So that when one falls, we can send 10 off to college to, to finish the job that he was planning on starting. This is a young man that was intending on going to school to further himself and better himself. So when we lose someone like that in the community, why aren't we looking to set up mechanisms in place to make sure that not only do, do we send 10 more, but if we're doing that annually, this one man's death can lead to thousands of being educated and having better opportunities for their families. So the kind of piggyback with this is that so the mechanism of history to you is set up to fill in gaps that myself would have about the overall history or to give history to people who don't know what the history is. Yeah, it's a combination of both. Uh, when you look at uh, the the last statistics that I was studying uh, were from 2015, 2016, the most recent records they had available uh, on the state of Missouri website for the Department of Education. And you're looking at the different <coughs> school districts uh, and we're, we're ranging in, in terms of competency, you know, 25, 30, 40% in history and social studies. And, and so what that's telling me is that uh, our, our school system is not producing citizens, or, or I should say citizens, but educated citizens. In other words, when you're, when you're graduating from high school, you should have a basic understanding of what your rights are as a citizen, what your role is as a citizen, and what your, uh, what your potential is as a citizen, what your options are. Uh, and I think that's something that, that graduating from high school, students have a better understanding of math and science because we focus STEM. Everything is STEM. But it's one thing to have that understanding and, and to have a foundation in math and science. But if you don't know who you are, then you're setting yourself up for exploitation of those skills that you've acquired elsewhere. Interesting perspective, because the identity of the individual in society stems from understanding history. Using, I'm using STEM in a different Absolutely. way from understanding history and, and 
where why are we now in the and we've talked about this on the show why are we in this situation we're in well if you go back and look at history you can understand that a little bit i remember there was a commercial for a group that said an educated consumer is our best customer an educates educated citizen is an involved citizen absolutely and, and you i hearken back to my time as a student uh and i'm always thinking about okay how did i become passionate about history well, part of it is I grew up with a father that talked about the importance of education all the time, um, rather than and oftentimes uh, it was it was a form of punishment in the sense that when we would get in trouble as kids, uh, we would be disciplined. But most of the discipline came in the form of lecturing us on the importance of education, why the mistake that we made was wrong and what we should do different. So that type of parenting where the the and my father would literally spend hours. Uh, now, uh, my mother provided the order and she provided the the culture in the sense that she made sure that that we knew what black art was and that everything in our home reflected a sense of pride in who we were as a people. And so for me, I had no issues of self-doubt. I had no issues with with feeling that there was anything that I could not do. You had your identity. And and, and it was instilled early on and, and only enhanced. I, I went to Cardinal Ritter High School, and, and it's not a commercial for Cardinal Ritter, but I, it saved my life uh, because I grew up, uh, we, we grew up in that home and in that environment, and I grew up in the Normandy School District in, in that area, uh, and you still had the pressure the, the social pressures, mm-hmm. uh, the gang violence, the drug culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I I grew up in the in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And so my adolescent years were really at the height uh, of the drug and gang epidemic mm-hmm. uh, here in St. Louis. And so uh, I was susceptible, just like any other kid, to wanting uh, to to be with that crowd. And, and some of the, the, to be honest with you, in some cases, you didn't have a choice. Uh, if you're from one part of, of Normandy and, and you're, you have issues with another part, we still have to go to school together. You still have to get on that bus. You still have to, you know, get off the bus. And, and so you still have to deal with those things on a daily basis. And, and so um, when I went through the Normandy School District, I was actually kicked out uh, my freshman year of high school. Uh, and I, but again, I had a supportive family. And that helped me to understand that you can get knocked down, but you have to get back up. And, and, and that's the true reflection of who you are as an individual. Uh, and so I was blessed to be in a situation where um, my grandmother was able to, she, we weren't well off by any means. Uh, and, and so we str- had our own struggles, but fortunately uh, she, was a, she had just won a settlement. She had an accident, won a settlement, and again, a family of sacrifice. She ensured, and, and my grandparents together ensured that I was able to go to Cardinal Ritter. It was a, because I was in a situation where I couldn't go back to Normandy. I couldn't, and I was actually on what they call the indefinite suspension. So I couldn't, anywhere I transferred, I was still under suspension. And, and so my choices at that point were Job Corps or private school. And Cardinal Ritter saved my life. It was an environment in which you could be smart. It was okay to be smart. It was actually encouraged to be smart. And that's a world of difference when you, you're going into a school where your first thought is, is self-preservation to 
your first thought is education. And where it, 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 so it was a truly a family environment. And so all of those things ha have compelled me uh, are, are put in me personally a sense of responsibility. I have an obligation to do whatever I can to help as many people as I can. The investment your grandmother and grandfather made in you is now the dividends are being paid out in history to you. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so, uh, again, I've always just had the dream of giving someone else that feeling that I had. Uh, I used to, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny to say this now, but I vividly remember the th my third grade um, telling everyone I wanted to be my for everyone's talking about being a, a, a fireman or, or, or being a basketball player football I wanted to be president of the United States and and that's because my I had a family that instilled that degree of confidence in what we could do and this is 1980s and I, I'll never forget telling my principal and her laughing and as an eight-year-old child, um, it didn't necessarily register at that time, but it stuck with me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so having that, that experience uh, of being told what you, you know, or, or not even being told, but being made to feel that, eh, yes, I understand you have a dream, but that's, yeah, that's not really realistic. Uh, it, it I wanted to make sure that I do what I can to lift those barriers, to make sure that, that any child, that don't feel inhibited. Uh, and I think that starts at home. And so what makes History to You different is our, our, the community outreach that we do are more geared towards the adults because we recognize that as if you instill that degree of passion in the parent, it's going to be conveyed to the child. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you, uh, you were talking about the literacy program. Uh, if we are focusing on it, we have the book club, the what we call Back to the Classics book right. club. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. And, uh, and so our point of emphasis is reaching to the parents. Because if the parents are reading, then and the child is either directly or indirectly going to pick that up. See, we, we, we focus on... Uh, finances we're always talking about providing 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 but what are we giving up in our in our family structure in exchange for for that economic security you know it's interesting you talk about that economics right now because i read an article this morning in the post dispatch and it comes out of baltimore that there was a study that jobs do not this was surprising. It surprised everybody. The jobs do not take people out of poverty. That these particular jobs that they're talking about, where people will, will then, when jobs are made available, other people will go to the jobs. But the jobs that happen within a community where they really need the jobs, right. they don't go to those jobs, or they're not qualified for some reason for the jobs, or they don't get those jobs. And so what happens is that those uh, individuals who are living in that neighborhood where that job production is supposed to be very dynamic, right. they end up getting pushed down and pushed down even more, or that gap begins to grow even more and more. And the fact that you talk about literacy and imparting values and imparting uh, the history, not only of a family, but of a culture, right. and of who you are, where you came from, you know, you talk about uh, the genealogical research and ancestry.com and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But it's like, 
what is my culture about? You know, who, who am I in this whole broad scheme of things? How do I fit in there? And kids right. really long, adults, adults are, are still struggling with that. Well, and that, that's the thing that's exciting. Uh, what, what really turns on, we did a, uh, we actually did an event for a family reunion uh, this year out at Tower Grove Park. Uh, and as so in addition to bringing historical artifacts, we actually work with the organizers of the family reunion to do a family tree and do genealogical research mm. so that when they're getting together as a family, they now have a history to discuss. That's great. And when they had a history to discuss, now the artifacts make more sense yep. because now we're talking about uh, we had an instance in which one of their ancestors uh, was a carpenter mm-hmm. as a slave. And so his descendants were actually, we actually had saws that carpenters, that former slaves were using. And so we were actually able to give them a sense of what their ancestor used, what their life was like. And so now that history is more relevant. It makes sense. Now I care about the Civil War because my, I know where my ancestors were. I know what they were doing and I know how they contributed in their role. That's really cool. That's really cool. We're going to talk more about that after the break. This is Arnold Stricker and Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Hey, it's a good time here in Webster Groves on In Tune. Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our first half hour, uh, with Mac Williams on history to you of history to you, this has been a, a very uh, rich understanding of uh, gaining the grasp on history as it relates to and personalizing history. And and Mac, off the air, you made a comment about history being. I'm I'm just going to vaguely quote it, and I want you to come back and say it correctly. History as important as culture is should be as important culturally as socially. Say it correctly. Oh, absolutely. And and, uh, what I was talking about uh, in in that conversation, uh, when I was in history class, uh, even as a student of history and as someone that was passionate about history, even early on, um, I would still have, just like any other kid, I I would still space out. I would still uh, find segments of, of, of class boring. Uh, and it was because it didn't really relate to me, or at least I didn't see the connection. And, and so that's what history to you wants to do. And, and that's why when we're talking about culturally, uh, we're talking about finding your place within history. Uh, so we did a, a genealogical study for my family's history. And uh, one of the individuals uh, on, on my father's side, we descend uh, from North Carolina. Uh, and uh, my direct ancestors uh, at one time was owned uh, by uh, the Purdy family, uh, P-U-R-D-Y. Uh, and the individual in the Purdy family uh, that was the patriarch at the time, right at the time of the Civil War, was a man by the name of uh, Thomas Purdy. Uh, He was actually a colonel uh, in the uh, Confederate Army. And uh, for the uh, listening audience, uh, Stonewall Jackson, Uh, when Stonewall Jackson was killed, uh, he was actually killed by uh, by friendly fire. fire. Thomas Purdy was the man that that ordered that fire. Seriously. And and so learning that history now made the Civil War make sense to me in terms of why I should be interested. Because as a direct result of that experience, Thomas Purdy was actually uh, he was actually killed in that same battle uh, mm-hmm. within uh, 24 to 36 hours after Stonewall was shot. Uh, Thomas Purdy himself was killed. Um, but 
for a long time that was that was the 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 attachment or the association with that role in killing Stonewall Jackson and many historians would argue if Stonewall Jackson survives, the Civil War could possibly have turned out differently. Right. He was one of their big generals. So to to know that we had that connection to the Civil War gave me a vested interest to learn more about it. Uh, and, and then to study that history. And, and so my family, uh, my ancestors, they actually changed their last name uh, between 1870 and 1880 from Purdy to Blocker. And uh, there was family lore about, you know, why that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm saying all of that to say that now I'm studying about Stonewall Jackson. Now I'm studying about, you know, Thomas Purdy. Now I'm studying about what happened in the Reconstruction era in North Carolina and the years immediately following. Because now I have a vested interest because I'm learning about why I am who I am. And what you do to help people learn where they are is you have like 34 courses that are available that uh, an individual can enroll in or they can do these in packages. And we're talking about things like the slave trade, tools of the slave, uh, the black abolitionist movement, the era of black reconstruction, the Fisk Jubilee Singers, uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Marcus Garvey and the UNIA, uh, Harlem Renaissance, racial tensions in St. Louis. And we had talked a little bit about that. And if you would mention a little bit about that conversation we had prior to the show starting about racial tensions in St. Louis, the pressure cooker. And and, and with each one of those topics that you just mentioned, we actually have historical artifacts related to them. Uh, So I I don't want to get off topic too quickly, but but just as one instance, uh, we actually have uh, the, there is a slave owner by the name of Franklin Watkins. Uh, out of Prince Edward County, Virginia, uh, that that Watkins family had owned uh, their area, uh, the land in Prince Edward County. Uh, still to this day, his sense, his descendants still own the same farmland. Uh, so uh, since uh, I believe, uh, because I've spoken with one of the, the descendants directly, uh, she mentioned that they have been there since about 1780 or wow. so, about 240 years or so. And, and uh, so they were in the process uh, of fixing up the main home, and so they've been renovating and clearing out a lot of the land, which included uh, dilapidated slave shacks uh, Mm -hmm. that were later used uh, by sharecroppers. Uh, And so they've been cleaning out those areas. And so when uh, I began purchasing from them those artifacts, and so we actually have a collection of tools, silverware, items that were used by the slaves directly, and we actually know who those slaves were by name. Wow. We know where they were. We know the types of jobs that they had because we we were able to form that connection with, with the, the descendants, uh, one of which her great-grandfather is still alive. He's 96. Mm. And so he knew either directly or indirectly either those slaves themselves or their children so that these stories can they can actually give us that history so we can really give you a sense of what it was like. Uh, we can really create a good time capsule. And so that's what we've tried to do in each of these instances. Uh, for Marcus Garvey and the UNIA, we actually have stock certificate from the Black Star Line. We have copies of uh, Black Man Magazine uh, from 1939 after he was exiled from the, uh, the United States. Mm. Uh, so Paul Lawrence Dunbar, we have the entire, uh, with the exception of his first two books, we have the entire collection, all first editions of his works. Uh, so it's about actually having a topic, but then having the artifacts that you can touch, that you can see directly right in front of you, that makes that history more tangible. Makes it come alive. Absolutely. And and so that's our our point of emphasis, is trying to make the history more tangible. So now uh, we were talking about 
racial tensions here in St. Louis. Uh, I'm not sure if a lot of people know about this, but there was a there was a jazz club and it was one of many, but it was called the Plantation Club, literally called the Plantation Club. And that was the theme. Uh, it was on uh, Del Mar. Uh, it's actually the building. It's, it's called the Palladium Building now. Okay. Uh, but it, and this is where uh, uh, a lot of early African American jazz musicians got their start. Uh, Miles Davis played there. Uh, um, you had uh, the oh, Billy Eckstein uh, uh, Billy Eckstein and his band played there. Uh, you had. Um, down the street, Chuck Berry. I mean, you, you had a lot of individuals mm-hmm. uh, that either played directly at the Plantation Club or got their start uh, through individuals that came out of the Plantation Club. Hmm. Uh, but it was just, uh, the depictions were just as racist as as, as the, the name connotates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we actually have um, original uh, menus from the Plantation Club. We actually have original matchbooks. We have original advertisements. Wow. Uh, and. and tying this into what we were talking about earlier, uh, one of the other critical events here in St. Louis uh, that was pivotal in this and what would, I guess, be described as the civil rights era in St. Louis. It's a little different than than other parts of the country. Uh, but we have artifacts from uh, the race riot uh, in Fairground Park over the integration of swimming pools in 1949. Uh, we have the original uh, the original magazine article uh, and that, that was nationally uh publicated mm-hmm. uh, that really documented uh, what occurred here in, in, in Fairground. Uh, and we t- so we used that to really describe the transition because St. Louis is a little different than other parts of the country uh, that where you saw the racial unrest and you saw the uh, the actual manifestation of the civil rights movement in the form of marches, sit-ins and demonstrations. You didn't have as much of that in St. Louis as you had in Selma in Birmingham and, and, and in other areas throughout the South. Uh, and a lot of that can be tied back to the race right in 1949. Uh, what occurred at that point that uh, prior to that point, you had a slow integration of African-Americans into the north side uh, of the city of St. Louis. Uh, and we as we were coming in, there was a gradual white exodus. But the events of, of the race riot in, at Fairground Park really kicked into high gear. Uh, that mass exodus and, and a lot of that I th- and this is my personal opinion based you know based on reading and researching the the events surrounding it I think a lot of that had to do with the outcome uh, because in, in in most race riots uh, up to that point were one-sided uh, it, it, they really weren't race riot they were really acts of terror calling them what they were uh, whereas with the fairground uh, the incident at fairground yes it, it, it was a situation in, in which uh, um, there were white agitators that were attacking individuals that were just coming to swim but these individuals fought back and they went and grabbed their cousins and they came and, and fought back so you actually had a situation in which there were almost as many white people injured as, as African Americans and that was scary because now you can't, you don't have that that dominance that you can just assert your will over another people. Mm-hmm. We resisted and we fought back, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we stood our ground. So that then led to an exodus. If I can't dominate, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to the county. And so within a couple of years, you had a tremendous swing in the population makeup of the city of St. Louis. And, and so what that did was that opened the door for opportunities for African Americans in the political realm far earlier 
than in other areas throughout, uh, throughout certainly throughout the South. You're talking about Lacey Clay. Yeah, I was talking about Lacey Clay. We're talking about Jet, Jet Banks. Banks. We're talking about individuals uh, of that nature, the Turpin family, uh, that were some of the first police officers uh, in the city of St. Louis. Uh, and they actually uh, were some of the most prominent members of St. Louis. Uh, you had uh, um, the development uh, of Sumner High School. And you know, when when it began, Sumner that was a tremendous source of pride. Oh, absolutely! To say that you went to and you graduated from Sumner High oh, School. Oh yeah, my mama graduated from Sumner. And, and when you were, <laughs> you know, when you were a bulldog, it meant something. That's, that meant something. And, and right. it should still mean something, especially when those individuals who have gone to that school understand the history behind it. And, and so you you saw that development on one hand, but on the other hand, you saw the development and the need for a Pruitt Igo. And you saw the so what happened in St. Louis was the the whole transition or the whole the the results of the civil rights movement manifested themselves much earlier here in St. Louis. And what that led to then was um, it really prevented us from actually having those racial discussions, the the true integration that we that that was the intention of the civil rights era. And so what you then saw was you had, we were integrated on paper, but that was it. Uh, and so that then led to uh, the perpetuation of that de facto segregation. And so, you know, I have a lot of individuals that, that come to visit St. Louis and they would mention, you know, especially, in, you know, growing up that this was an extremely segregated town. Uh, and, and, and it was, it was, designed that way right uh you know through the economic pressures uh but because we had those outlets we we had a representative in the form of Lacey clay we had representation in the form of jet banks we had representation in the form of other individuals we did we our our voice was tampered because we had that filter much in the same way that you had when Barack Obama was elected president of the United States, you had the expectation that African-Americans were just supposed to be happy and satisfied. But it's no surprise that because of that expect or that implied expectation, you had more racial unrest then, ironically, than you do now. Which when we were talking before the show, that one of the reasons Ferguson, the pressure cooker, you know, all of this has just been Absolutely. kind of kept under the surface and kept under the surface and just, it just heats up and heats up and then finally it just overflows. Absolutely. We, and when you think about it, one of the most significant historical events from a racial standpoint uh, here in St. Louis uh, harkens back to the days of Percy Green and tr uh, attempting to integrate the VP Fair. That's right. I remember that. As a matter of fact, I went to I was going to a church over in Richmond Heights at the time, and um, it was an, one of the few integrated churches. It was a Lutheran church, uh -huh. and Percy Green. They invited Percy Green to come in and actually talk about that. Right, and 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 that was that was tremendous uh, in terms of uh, the impact here in the city of St. Louis for those individuals that grew up in it, that experienced the segregation and the separation uh, and the implied superiority right, exactly. that, that, that was came the with that notion uh, that we had this grand ball that you couldn't go to, that we had, you know, that they would give out silverware, silver platters, silver plates, it's, uh, things that were, were luxury items that, that to commemorate this exclusivity. And, and however, 
and, and this and I'm not saying this in any way as a as a slight to, you know, certainly not a slight to Percy Green. That's a pioneering elder that that has done significant, you know, make significant gains for for our people here in St. Louis. Um, but if that could be considered the most radical thing that that we had here in St. Louis, you know, there really wasn't a Black Panther presence here in St. Louis. You didn't have uh, that those outlets of frustration to to vent that frustration here in St. Louis that you had in other areas. You, you didn't have police dogs, or you didn't have hoses on people. You didn't have large marches that walk through the downtown area, etc., like we no, saw in Birmingham, or which Selma. Uh, which directly and indirectly, like you you, you talk about Birmingham. Uh, I'm a fan of Ricky Smiley, the the comedian, but he talks all the time about what it meant to grow up in that environment. And how and if you look at what he's done in his community and throughout the country, just like we talked about the way my parents raised me and instilled in me this passion to help. He's the same way. And that was a direct result of his experience Mm -hmm. growing up in Birmingham, where you had an environment where you saw black men standing up, whether it was nonviolently or otherwise, you saw black men taking a stance. And so you understand growing up that you have the same responsibility when the time comes to take that stance. It's a passing of the mantle, if I may use that analogy. And that's, again, where we talk about history being culturally important. Mm -hmm. When you have that history to pass on, then it instills that sense of responsibility and it compels those that, that are the students of that history to understand that I have a responsibility to do more with this. And individuals can do that through the, um, the courses that, that you have, also the book club, the, the History to You, Back to the Classics book club, and there's one coming up. I'm going through my papers right here. Yes, it's it's uh, this Saturday. Uh, this Saturday, we're going to be looking at uh, Elaine Brown's work, uh, A Taste of Power. Uh, and, and we wanted to emphasize that uh, certainly in this day and age um, where you, you have the Me Too movement, you have, uh, you know, the assertion of equality uh, for women, which honestly, again, when you look at the cyclical nature of this country, why are we having this discussion when we when it, it took this country 130 years to or 100, almost 150 years to give the right to vote to the woman and, and to women? And, and that should have resolved the, the questions of equality at that point. But yet we're still having this discussion now. And, and it's because we're not again, we're our history books didn't really talk about the contributions of, uh, 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 of a Clara Barton, of a Susan B. Anthony, right. uh, of, a, uh, of a Charlotte Forden. Uh, we didn't learn history in an equal way. And, and we didn't learn all of the history. No, no, and not, certainly not in a balanced approach. And I think if we, if had we learned more and had more of a balance, uh, again, as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I grew up in a home in which my mother emphasized our culture, but she was also uh, she also had a commanding presence. And, and so because she had such a commanding presence, my respect for women is automatic, you know, and, and, and not only is it automatic, but I understand a woman's capacity to be a leader because I, I had a home in which I had two leaders. Both of my parents were leaders in their own right. And so it's not foreign for me to see a woman in a leadership role. Well, and it's not foreign to see that 
you have the mantle of leadership now. Yeah, and, and what you're and what you're doing for the community through history to you. Now I know you've got a third section that you're getting ready to. Uh, yes. Roll out a little bit. Yeah. Talk, talk briefly about that because I want to make sure you have enough time to talk about it. Absolutely. We're, we're building. And, and, and right before I get into that, we've up to this point, we've given out uh, about 750 books, between 750 and 800 books. Our goal is to give out a thousand books here uh, uh, for the community. So that's been our mission. Uh, and so uh, everyone that comes to the book club gets a free copy of the book. Uh, so we want to make sure that everyone understands that this is not just you you come sit down and we talk about a book no you actually are, are building a library if you come with uh come to our meetings month to month you're getting a free copy of the book month to month so and, at the end of the year you have a 12 book library and then next year we're doing the same thing and where's where are the, those meetings uh, those meetings are on the fourth saturday uh, of every month uh at the julia davis library uh so right at the corner of natural bridge and newstead uh we're we're right uh, in in the hood, as uh, as we like to say, uh, but we wanted to be there because that's where the community needs it. Uh, and, and so we're based out of the third ward. We're in the city of St. Louis. Uh, we're we're not uh, out in Chesterfield somewhere trying to tell people in the city what to do. No, we're right there with you, and that's why we f- we have that ability to talk in the community and say what we need to say and do what we need to do. Uh, but that leads us to our next step, and our next step was progressing. Uh, beyond the library and, and actually doing uh, events in the community. We've participated in, in uh, the Juneteenth celebrations with Fountain Park, uh, with, with Coffee Wright and her organization. We've participated in the St. Louis African American Artifacts Festival and Bazaar. Uh, we've done that uh, for the last several years here as well. Uh, and so we wanted to do other events ourselves. And so we come up with the idea, uh, it's uh, called History in the Hood. And uh, our goal is to have a festival uh, for 2019 as our inaugural uh, festival in Fairground Park to commemorate the 70th anniversary of those riots. And so we want to be able to talk with and explain to the community, this is how we got here. Well, I think I have to add one thing, though, because being from Webster Groves. Yes, ma'am. See, this, what I find is that the city always looks at the city as being the only one that has a history to oh, look at, okay? Absolutely. The, the history that we had out here. Yes, ma'am. Okay, with Webster, with Meacham Park, with, our, with Douglas Elementary. Absolutely. Okay, is a history that even growing up here, we had a difficult time expressing that that was a part, an extension of the history that we were dealing with in the city. And so we still deal with that. As a matter of fact, this radio station is a direct result of my life in terms of what you're saying. I grew up right up the street. And you know what? I came back to my community centuries later. (laughs) Okay. And created something that was needed in this community. So I want to say that let's not forget that the fight fight that was fought out here for education and Regent Park and Chesterfield that had a black community. Yeah, and and, and even in Kirkwood. That's right. That's Regent Park. Absolutely. Okay. So those things need to be included because of the fact that we are also the most vulnerable because the communities can disappear mm-hmm. like the historical black community of Brentwood. Ugh. That's Man. now the promenade, Absolutely. you know, shopping center, you know, like Meacham Park that now has all of the commercialization around it. Mm-hmm. Like Kinlock, which that, doesn't Kinlock exist that anymore. basically right. doesn't or, exist. Or, or even I'll, I'll even give you a, a more recent example here uh, in the city with the NGA building. 
the NGA building is, uh, and that whole project is backed right up to St. Louis Avenue. Yep. Right. Back right up to those museums. That's right. And so when you look at the development of the area around the NGA complex, where is that culture gonna, uh, going to go? And, and so you always have this displacement uh, of, the, of the people, but what compounds that is the displacement of the culture. Of the culture, right. that's right. And, and, and so, but you hit the nail on the head in, in the sense that our goal with History to You is to impact the parents to raise kids that do exactly what you did, and that's feel a sense of responsibility to their community. To their community, that's I, right. I actually reside in, in, in the, a building that our family has had since the 60s. In, in the north side. And, and so, uh, again, a lot of individuals in our community, we, we've had it backwards. We've, we've taught our kids to, the ones that are receiving the education, get educated so you can go out. That's and, right, and, exactly. But we're not telling them to come back. Yep. That's right, exactly. You know, we, we, our message is leave the hood. And that's exactly why our hoods remain dilapidated because we're we're teaching our kids to abandon. It's the brain drain and start over somewhere else. Yeah, it's the brain drain. And then when you and do that, you're looking to be integrated into someone else's culture in the process. That's right. And you and you wonder why you're not accepted. You wonder why you feel on the outside looking in because we're not we're not imploring our kids to to strengthen the foundation and build upon it. That's right. We can make the North Side whatever we wish to make it if we choose to to dedicate our energy and our efforts to it. And so w- what's happening now is you're saying the same thing where we're 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 in the county now while the city is being redeveloped. So we're going to be on the outside looking in as we see a whole new city and we're we're displaced and we're dispersed amongst the 30 different municipalities right. in, in, in which we don't really have any control. And so that's, uh, again, why we're trying to stop that now. We're trying to stem that tide by instilling that sense of pride, instilling that sense of responsibility to return back and to remain. There are so many things that we can do in the third ward. And, and I want to commend uh, our, our alderman there, Brandon Boss. He's doing a great job of re-energizing us. That's wonderful. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I wasn't involved in the local politics uh, as much until uh, I saw him as a young man, you know, take that mantle. Well, you know, we have to have Mac back on absolutely, and, and finish this, continue the conversation, not finish it, continue absolutely. the conversation. You know, on November 2nd, we're going to have Ken Morris on the air. And Ken Morris, Ellie, you're going to be really surprised, Frederick Douglass's great-great-great-grandson, and he's also uh, Booker T. Washington's great-great-grandson. He's wow. going to be on the air with us. And, and, and that's another thing. I mean, that, that ties in, and it kind of leads the show. Where is our—that's royalty, that's correct. And in, in, in our community, Kenneth Morrison, uh, he, he should be seen as royalty. That's right. And, and, and respected and revered as such, uh, especially and when and he's trying to do it is make it Beyonce and people like that royalty. Right. And, 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 and nothing wrong with wrong. Beyonce. Uh, yeah, okay. we, we love, we, I hope anyone in the beehive out there. I, <laughs> That's right. Don't but yeah, No, but we, we, we actually know that we actually have to. We actually have to elevate individuals that that can tell us and, and can continue that history. Well, we're going to continue this conversation in some future broadcasts. This is uh, Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri.